Yes, when you hear that music, you know that it's time for the lighter side of baseball. This is Jamie Retzke coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, with another exciting wrap-up of what's been going on in Major League Baseball over the past couple of weeks. We have been on a golfing hiatus since the podcast number 16. 16, you remember, was a recap of honor to my good friend, that person who this podcast really exists for, and that's Dave Nelson. Uh, on the anniversary of Dave's passing, we did uh, an entire podcast dedicated to David Earl, and for all of us who uh, were friends with David Earl, everybody that knew David Earl Nelson, uh, that was a fun, fun way to spend the anniversary of his passing. And so here we are with another twist on Dave, uh, which seems like every broadcast we do has a little bit of twist with uh, Nelly. The twist here is this is podcast number 17. And as you know, we like to talk about the uniform number for that particular podcast. In other words, for the first podcast, we talked a little bit about Billy Martin. We talked a little bit about Jim Landis. We talked about not only famous number ones, but famous number ones to me. And number 17 has some special, special uh, significance because number 17 was the number that Dave Nelson wore for the Cleveland Indians when he was coaching for the Cleveland Indians because his previous number, 14, was retired. And you might ask, well, why was number 14 retired? It sure wasn't because of Nellie's career with the Indians, although it was perhaps brief as a player, but very significant as a coach. He coached first base in two World Series for the Cleveland Indians, and there aren't too many people in the world that can say that. So at any rate, that, no, that's not why his uniform was retired. Number 14 should have been retired a long time ago, but number 14 for the Cleveland Indians belonged to Larry Doby. Now, this is historically one of the great, perhaps biggest ripoffs or in your faces in the historical significance of Larry Doby and his career and what he meant to baseball. About three months after Robinson broke the color barrier, Larry Doby became the first African American player to play in the American League. Larry Doby became the first African-American player to go directly from the Negro Leagues to Major League Baseball. He never went into the minor leagues. He never did anything besides play for the Negro Leagues and then for the Cleveland Indians. Then, Doby, along with Satchel Page were the first two African-Americans that were on a team that won the World Series. And again, not too many people really remember Larry Doby or give him the kind of uh, respect that he is owed. But again, his number was retired, and number 17 belonged to Davey Nelson. That's right, and that picture again, is in my office on my wall of none other than 
Dave Nelson wearing uniform number 17 because, yes, Larry's number got retired. And Larry Doby's in that picture. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. And um, there's some things that we can historically view as problematic with baseball in the late 40s and 1950s. But I think this is an exciting, not an exciting, it's an interesting example of where we were and how far we've come in Major League Baseball. And maybe in society, but how far have we come? I think we've come a long way. I really do. And I think that's what history shows us. But anyway, getting back to the story. So Bill Vec signs Larry Doby to play for the Cleveland Indians. And at that time, uh, he decided the first place that uh, he ought to play was not in Cleveland, but at Comiskey Park in Chicago. So they signed the contract, and he sends Larry to Chicago. Now, Larry couldn't stay in the same hotel as the white players could, so he lived down the street at a hotel near Comiskey Park. And when he joined the Cleveland Indians on the road, not one Indian would shake his hand when he came into the clubhouse. None. Zero. That's how things were back then. Bad. Crummy. Horrible. It just is inexplicable to try to figure out how in the world 24 teammates could basically turn their back on a guy because of the color of his skin. Then, he was basically a second baseman, shortstop, but the shortstop was Lou Boudreau, who was the captain and also the manager of the 49 Cleveland Indians. And... At some point, they wanted to get him into the game, and they said, can you play first base? And Doby responds that he's never played there much, but he thinks he probably could since he's an infielder, but he doesn't have a glove. So Boudreau goes to the first base, the guy that's playing first base most of the time, and says, hey, man, can Doby borrow your first baseman's glove? Because first baseman's gloves, everybody knows, are big to catch air and throws, et cetera, et cetera, scoop the ball out of the dirt, blah, blah, blah. So the first baseman <laughs> tells him to take a hike, not letting him use the glove. The backup first baseman, nah, you can't use my glove. So finally, one of the guys on the White Sox agreed and said, yeah, that's fine. He can use my glove. He had to get a glove from a guy on another team to play his first game in the major leagues. And if that doesn't say something about where we were as a society in the United States back in the 40s and 50s, I don't know what does. But at any rate, that's Larry Doby. He didn't wear 17, he wore 14, but he did wear 14. That was retired, and Nelly wore 17, one of the times that, uh, one of the many numbers that they've had. But be that as it may, uh, there are other important number 17s to me, but I'm only going to talk about one because that was on the White Sox. Number 17 was none other than Earl Torgerson. Now, not too many people probably remember old Earl, but he played on the 1959 White Sox team. 
And you know what? We like to talk about the 1959 White Sox team because I'm sure somebody out there might be a White Sox fan. At any rate, they should be now because the White Sox are hot. They got a good young team. They're going places along with the San Diego Padres, perhaps the most exciting young baseball team. And maybe you put in there the Atlanta Braves. You got the Braves. You got the White Sox. You got the Padres. You've got pretty exciting new teams coming up. So that's exciting. But before we get into any more excitement, because I have a lot of exciting things to report. Number one, the golf tournament in California was spectacular. My partner and I, mostly my partner, won our flight propelled us into the championship horse race, which for you non-golfers and non-winners, it's when all the winners of the flight team up and they all go down the fairway and you eliminate three people on one hole and three people on another. So my partner and I go down the first hole and, uh, you know, he hits a great drive, I kind of bang out a bad drive. He hits the ball into the sand trap, I sort of get it out of the trap. He makes a great putt, I hole it out from three inches. Three inches, not a really difficult sporting activity there at that putting stroke. But be that as may, we go to the second hole, and he drives. And he drives pretty good. I hit a second shot, close to the green, third shot, up and make a long story short, or maybe a short story long. We'll, we make it through the first hole, we make it through the second hole, and I make the putt, so he has to drive. He drives on the third hole of par three. And uh, good drive. Yours truly hits a bad putt. My partner hits a good putt. We tie. There are only going to be three people that go on to the final stage of this exciting match. And we have a chip off for two of the three places amongst four teams. And I go last. And ladies and gentlemen, to say that I sort of chunked it would be an understatement. We were out. So my golf tournament there, five out of 60, not bad, mostly because of my partner, Chris. My partner, Chris, good guy, great guy, good friend, really good golfer. Had a lot of fun in San Diego, stayed at a casino, might have won a dollar or two. Aftershock, great game. If any of you gamers out there ever get into a casino when you turn 21, play Aftershock. It's hilarious. And to watch the people playing Aftershock is even more funny. So that's a plug for my good friend Daryl, who's the general manager at Harris Casino in Southern California. Great casino. Supposedly a great swimming pool. Didn't get out there. But most of the time we played golf or blackjack or Aftershock. Anyway, so the venue switches from beautiful California to hot and muggy and buggy. South Carolina, where the golfing venue was none other than Secession Country Club, where in Beaufort, South Carolina, they apparently seceded first from the Union way back in the Civil War days. Have a nice golf course. It's right near Paris Island, where I spent a fun-filled two months as a first lieutenant working in the legal offices at Paris Island. So anyway, a shout-out to the Marine Corps, the Beaufort... Uh, uh, folks have really done a nice job with that town. It's grown a lot since 1973 and what hasn't, including my uniform size. But be that as it may, the, uh, uh, the, the golf event was great. You had to walk. You had to caddy. It was hot. My feet hurt. My back hurt. I hurt. 
My golf game sort of hurt it. It sort of worded. <laughs> anyway, you got it. So where were we? We were back talking about some of the exciting young teams in baseball. We were talking about the White Sox. We were talking about the uh, Braves, and we were talking about the Padres. But before we were going to get to that, we were also going to talk about what this show always talks about, kind of where in the season were two teams, the 1959 White Sox and the 1919 White Sox. So I'm sure you're curious. When the White Sox won the pennant in 1959 after 23 games, their record, actually 24 games, their record was 21-13, and 13 which is pretty doggone close to the current edition of the Chicago Cubs, who are 20 and 13. Not bad. So, Cubbies, you got a long way to go, and we'll get into some of your deficiencies and some of the things I see wrong with the Cubs, because as good as their team is, is as much publicity as they seem to get for being good hitters, I don't think they can hit very well, but they certainly have good pitching staff right now. And... Uh, I was all over their pitching staff and their new pitching coach who'd never coached before, but, you know, nothing seems to shut up people that are critics like success, and they had a pretty good month of April after it began with a disastrous 2-9 and nine record they have fought back to where they are today, 20-13. and 13. So, the 1919 Black Sox, you ask, with Shoeless Joe Jackson, a shoe-in, play on words, a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame, but for his little dip into the illegal world of gambling on baseball. And uh, nobody more than Shoeless Joe, with the exception of Pete Rose, knows gambling is not well thought of. You can use pine tar on your fingers to get a better grip. You can use Vaseline to do whatever you want with that ball, Gaylord Perry. You can sh sharpen your spikes and be a nasty guy like Ty Cobb was. You can even use a little bit of uh, steroids to improve your game and get you into the Hall of Fame. But if you even think about gambling on baseball... You're gone. Now, will Pete Rose ever get into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Is Pete Rose a really good guy? I've met him a few times. He doesn't come across as just a good guy, but like the Hall of Fame is full of guys that may not make the greatest, nicest teammate in the world award, but be that as it may, the 1919 White Sox, after 33 games, which is where we are today, after my two-week hiatus, we're at about the 33-game mark, which is just about a fifth of the way through the season. If you multiply 33 times 5, you're going to get to, you know, somewhere near 162. You do the math. I, I won't. The 1919 White Sox starring Al Sicotti, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Eddie Collins, Buck Weaver, uh, Red Faber, lots of guys, three of which I told you before, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the Hall of Fame. You can be on a team that cheats and get in the Hall of Fame. You just can't cheat. Those eight guys that they made a movie for about called Eight Men Out, 
They cheated. They got caught. Their defenses might have worked in Cook County Circuit Court. Didn't work with Judge Landis, the commissioner of baseball, gone. What was their record? After 33 games, you ask, 24-9. and Who? They were good. They were really good. But there was one team in Chicago that was better than that. Yeah. One team after 33 games in the history of Chicago baseball. And I think my staff researched this, and I think it's accurate. But as one of our fans pointed out when I said that Pumpsa Green, the first African-American to play for the Boston Red Sox, who were the last team to integrate their team with an African-American, Rome Centerfield. He pointed out that Pumpsy Green was a second baseman, and by gosh, he's correct. But my staff has sharpened up their pencils. They have gone through a couple of erasers. They have come and informed me that the best record after 33 games in Chicago baseball history is none other than your Chicago Cubs world champion 2016 record of 25 and 8. Hoo-hoo. Better than the Black Sox, better than the 59 Go-Go Sox, my favorite team in baseball, and uh, pretty much uh, uh, kept that pace through the end and Managed not to blow the World Series in Game 7. Oh, down 3-1, to one, just like my 1985 Royals were down 3-1. But the amazing thing about the Cubs compared to the Royals was the Royals were down 3-1 uh, to one and played Game 6 and 7 at home, of which I was there at the game with my family. In, in 2016, Cubs were down 3-1. to one. They won it on the road. Yeah. They went to Cleveland, and at a game that I was at, they won. They killed them. It was a great game. The most relaxing World Series game I've ever been to, other than the 59 World Series with the White Sox. And I was relaxed because I had no idea what was going on. I was nine years old. I was sitting in left field with my dad. I was so excited to be at a World Series game. I still have that blue pennant that he got me when we went into the Comiskey Park Little did I know that I couldn't see the left fielder from the upper deck of left field. We were so far away, and the White Sox got clobbered so badly that most kids would have probably turned to a different sport, being heartbroken that their team, the Go-Go Sox, went down to defeat in six games to those nasty Los Angeles Dodgers. But, but, never say die, go Sox. And, uh, you know, they are Big team for me for a lot of years. Big team. And uh, met some guys on the White Sox that uh, I thought were great guys, and I enjoyed it. So as a fan, you know, that's all you can do. It's not like they're going to say, hey, man, you know, you look pretty good. Why don't you go catch a couple innings? Now, why don't you go on the bullpen and catch for, for the no, – that's not going to happen. So all you can do is be a fan, and a fan I am, and those 59 Sox were great. But – the 2016 Cubs, best record in baseball, best record in Chicago after 33 games. And so that's, um, that's kind of your, your trip through uh, a few random thoughts that I have before we get too far into analyzing what's going on after 
33 or 34 games in uh, into the 2019 season. And I got to tell you, um, there's some exciting stories. There are some exciting teams. I think a couple of the surprise teams are the Padres. I think the uh, Twins are a good surprise team. I think that the Braves are surprising a lot of people hanging in the way they're hanging in. And I think that the uh, uh, the other, at least to me, um, surprising team are the White Sox. They're playing good ball, and they're, you know, they're just injury riddled. My goodness gracious, every pitching prospect basically they've gotten uh, had or going to have Tommy John surgery. But there's some interesting stories going on last night. Uh, there was a no-hitter pitched after Oakland had a disastrous road trip. They go on the road, they just get hammered. And, you know, they were one of those teams, the Billy Bean Boys, who did well last year, and I picked them to probably not do that well. But Byers threw a second no-hitter of his uh, major league career, and there are only 33 other pitchers that have ever done that. And so that is a great feat. Does it match Kerry Woods striking out 20 people in one game? Nah, no way. Um you know, there are more uh, no-hitters thrown than uh, hits for the cycle. And uh, it's still exciting, and it's probably the most fun thing as a fan to be at a ballpark and see a no-hitter. Uh, I saw Kerry Wood's 20-game, 20 20-strikeout 20 game, mostly from, you know, inside the Cubs club at the time and because uh, it was cold. It was early. It was in April, and it was cold. But the um, only no-hitter I've seen was when I was seven years old, and I knew less when I was seven than I did when I was nine at the World Series. So you can imagine I was excited, the crowd was excited, and Bob Keegan was the gentleman who threw that no-hitter, and uh, that's that's exciting. So what else has been going on in baseball? The Padres have sort of been exciting in a good way, the the bottom ten teams, folks, they're the same bottom teams. And Major League Baseball's gonna it's got a problem. Number one, the salary payroll disparity between the top tier teams and the bottom tier teams needs to be eliminated. They got to eliminate that inequity between the top 10 payrolls and the bottom 10 payrolls. As I've said before, the average 2019 payroll is going to be around $140 million. you got to get everybody up to $120 million. you got to get everybody up near 20% of the average, within 20% of the average. Now, again, a, chin, a chintzy team... Uh, the Rays have the best record or the second best record in baseball compared to a not-so-chintzy team, the Dodgers. So how long can you continue to look at the Rays and have the success they're having? It's incredible. I mean, it's Billy Bean on steroids, the fact that they have done it with losing Joe Madden, losing Friedman, their general manager, having a you-know-what hole to play in for all of their home games in a part of the town that's hard to get to. And, I mean, a lot of times it looks like it's empty out there. 
even though the climate's a nice 70 degrees, it looks like Wrigley Field in a snowstorm. Not too many people there. So, you know, come on, Tampa Bay. Pay a little more money. Continue this great streak and build a new ballpark with a dome over it. In fact, any team that comes into the baseball and they're going to expand, and whether it'll be Portland or Mexico City or Monterey, Mexico or Montreal or somewhere else in the United States, make them have a dome, a roof, a Miller Park kind of roof where you can open it and close it in five minutes. Come on. It's absurd to be playing baseball like last night at Wrigley Field. It looked like the Bears on a bad weather day. People in blankets and stocking caps. And oh, by the way, I get to go there tonight. And Major League Baseball's kind of gone off into a weird little tangent. It doesn't happen very often, but it's happened now to me twice. Once tonight, they decided after looking at the weather that they're going to start the game a half an hour early. In reality, they should look at the weather and start the game now. It's beautiful out. Let's If we're going to have dynamic pricing, let's have dynamic start times. Tell everybody, hey, if it looks good, we're going to have the beer vendors get there at 3 this afternoon because I think we're going to have a nice day for baseball. That's sort of what they're doing. And the Royals, because they are pathetic, and when they played the Rays, I went to the opening game of that series, and I got to tell you, that is, even for a baseball nut like me, hard to sit through, hard to watch. A... You know, they've got a couple good players, but B, the pace is slow. The food is horrible. The The whole deal could be improved with the, you know, with about 10 little things to improve. Uh, mainly the food and the pace of the play. My God, they're, you know, they've gone from six mound visits to five mound visits this year in a hope of speeding up the game. What a joke. What a joke. Instead of going out to the mound now, Molina just yells out to the pitcher for a second or looks over at the dugout. There's that the mound visit deal. The only thing that it's done is avoid irritating fans to see Wilson Contreras and Yadier Molina go out to the, the mound every time there's a runner on second base, so that's good. And I love Wilson Contreras, and I feel just the opposite about Yadier Molina, but Molina's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Who knows what Contreras is going to do. But be that as it may, the Royals, the next night, the game gets rained out. There's six inches of rain that night in in Kansas City, and obviously as great as the Royals' field dries and drains, they're not going to play. So the next night, Wednesday night, they're scheduled to start a game at 7.15, and I get a text from the Royals saying, oh, by the way, we've decided to make up the Tuesday game on Wednesday, a single admission doubleheader, which means like like it used to be in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, before some greedy owner figured out that we can go ahead and have a day game, clean the field out, and bring everybody back so they can pay twice for the doubleheader. And they called it a day-night doubleheader instead of two-for-one baseball that used to happen routinely on Sunday afternoons and occasionally at night with the old twinight light doubleheader, as I called it, but it's probably a twinight doubleheader. Anyway, so the Royals say, 
Um, we're going to have a single admission doubleheader starting at 12.15. And oh, by the way, your tickets from yesterday aren't any good. <laughs> it's like, what? No, you know, you can exchange those tickets just like a, a rain check, um, but you can't get into the ballpark with that ticket. Hmm. Unless you're a season ticket holder, then you can use Wednesday. But Wednesday, you probably had planned on going out there after work for the 7.15 start. Nah, eh, it's going to start at noon, and you can use that ticket to get into the ballpark. So it's like, okay, I really don't mind all that. I really don't mind that kind of flexibility. And hats off to the Royals. I will say this. Um, they saw a problem and tried to remedy it. The problem, opening day they played after three hours of a rain delay, and very few people stuck around for the game, although I'm sure they made money on the alcohol consumption. But the Royals were classy enough to send out vouchers to ticket holders because they felt like it really wasn't fair to... Um, make them sit through the rain so they gave them another game and like they don't really care because they never fill it up anyway so but it was nice then um, the twinite or the uh, single admission doubleheader with the Rays they did say that season ticket holders would get a voucher if they didn't use their tickets they could get another another game so that really doesn't mean much either because I could take the Royals have a policy you can take all your unused tickets any day after that game, go to the ticket window and get as many. If you have 100 tickets you haven't used, you can get 100 tickets for the, for the next game, you know, which is good, and it shows that they don't draw. Now, they would draw if they had kept Hosmer and Musakis and on and on and on and signed Kimbrell and used some of the money that they made off of the World Series in 2014 and 2015 to put on a Major League show. But they don't. It's not a Major League show. And instead of, like, building your team around Whit Merrifield, who I'd never heard of, Hunter Dozier, a good acquisition, Alex Gordon, they got a couple good pitchers that are really fours and fives. Keller's not a one. He's not a two. He's probably not a three, but he's a good four and five. But come on, guys, try to win. Don't do a diamond back and deal away everybody because, oh, how can we afford to sign them? Well, if you can't afford to sign them, don't get a major league team. It's the same thing with Harper and Machado. And speaking of Harper and Machado, what a farce those two guys have been. Now, you know, at the beginning of this little Harper-Machado deal, I sort of, it was like, what jerk are you going to like better than the other jerk? And for a long time, it was like, well, you know, I don't really like either of them, but, man, Machado in the World Series was a real double jerk, so I'll go with Harper as the good guy between those two. Harper's a, in a, you know, as a fan, don't know the guy. He may be the nicest guy in the world. He doesn't come across that way, and so he got booed in Philadelphia after after dropping a ball, a pop-up in the outfield he dropped. He's hitting 237, although he did get a grand slam last night. He's not driving in the runs. 
and he got thrown out of a game arguing balls and strikes, and he got it shoved up his face by a spectacular teammate in Jake Arietta. And Arietta, even though he did it in a dignified way in the public, I guarantee he went and got in Harper's face before Harper's little butt could get into the shower after he got ejected. And he told him, you selfish little so-and-so, you can't go get thrown out. They're paying you $330 million for your butt to be out in right field. So don't get mad at the umpires and do something stupid because when I'm on the mound, I want your ass out in the field and at the plate, even though you're hitting a measly, measly 237. So, you know, I think Arietta got a point across to uh, Harper that the Nationals could not do. And you saw Harper get in the face of a few guys, a few guys with longevity. And I'm sure some of those guys included Scherzer. Uh, we know they included their closer when it was a much publicized, viewed, televised dispute that Harper got into a shoving match with that guy. And so he's, and I said before, if if we're going to do wins by chemistry, wins from chemistry, W4, whatever we talked about, Harper's a negative four and Mike Trout's a plus 20. And that's every bit as as good as war and that stupid stat that they come up with about wins against wins against replacements. I digress. Let's get to Manny Machado. You know, Machado's come across a little better than Harper, and the dude can flat out pick it at shortstop, and he had to move over to short where he really wanted to play because Tatis, for some idiotic reason, and, you know, you get excited, you get enthusiastic, you get caught up in the moment. He tried to be Joe Cunningham, who was, and you say, who's Joe Cunningham? Joe Cunningham was a first baseman, played for the Cardinals, boo, but he also played for the White Sox, yay. And Joe could flat out stretch. And so he could do the splits. It's unbelievable. Um uh, you know, and I played first base, and I I could do the splits, but not like Joe. And then when I went to fantasy camp, played first base, tried the splits 40 years after I you did it in a game back when I was 16. Uh, that was the end of my hammy for about two months. But, no, Joe could do the splits. And Tatis at second base trying to make the last out of the game. Beautiful plays, had a great... He's had a great year. He does the splits, and he, you know, hurts his leg, and he's on the DL. Or now, for those of you who don't know, the DL um, is no longer the DL. The DL stood for the disabled list. <laughs> there was a tough, tough, what do we call a list of all these guys that are hurt? We'll call them the disabled list. Well, the commissioner, apparently, somebody didn't think that was, again, they they can't outlaw the shift. They can't speed up the game. They can't make these pitchers pitch in the batters. But they can change the name of the DL to the IL. So now when you get hurt, you go on the IL, the injured list, not the disabled list. Well, what really? Is it, what in the world does that not help any more than cutting mound visits from six to five? They're talking about. Next year, the pitcher comes in, he has to face three batters. Give me a break. 
better rule would be lower the mound another four inches and don't juice the friggin' ball. And we got so many strikeouts, so many strikeouts. Do you know, here's, an, here's a stat that will blow you away. And you can, I'll tell you what, take any box score and you can do this in five minutes. You can, you can try to disprove what I'm about to say, some of you skeptical fans out there. But in Major League Baseball in 2018 and 2019 so far, the average for a ball in play during a major league game is one ball in play every four minutes. F-O-U-R. Every four minutes you have a ball that could be a bunt back to the pitcher. It could be a weak grounder because you tried to take an outside slider and pull it. Weak grounder to the shortstop. Or it could be a double off the wall or a home run or a pop-up or a fly. You got my point. Every four minutes, one ball in play. And hence, you have three-hour games, three hours and 15-minute games, three hours and 40-minute games. Every night, if you take the average time for each game, it's over three hours. Now, it's around... You know, like last night, there was a game that was two and a half hours, so that's going to shave a little time off. But it's three hours, three hours and 50 minutes. And, you know, it doesn't matter how long the game's going as long as there's action. Now, you say, you know, if you take a video of an NFL game, there's probably six minutes of action and three hours of inaction. And, um, you know, I suppose that's true. And I'm not saying NFL's product is any better than Major League Baseball's product, but... There are uh, some problems with with the uh, the way baseball's going right now, and uh, they're not addressing them. And the shift drives you crazy, you know. And, he, and not even just the shift, but the second baseman playing thirty feet in front of the right fielder and throwing a, throwing uh, Kyle Schwarber out after Schwarber lines a line drive into right field that the second baseman plays on one hop and throws over to first to get the out. That's goofy. But you say, okay, we'll learn to beat the shift, bunt down the third base line. And I, I'm not totally sold on either one of those positions. I just want to see action. I don't want to see three hours of, you know, talk to your neighbor and have a beer. I want to see some good baseball. And so that brings me to another subject. The... The Braves and the uh, Marlins got got into uh, a little bit of beanball activity. At the end of last year, one of the Marlins got beaned, and so at the beginning of this year, uh, it may have been the Braves. Yeah, the Braves and the Marlins. And so the Braves pitcher, first pitch, comes out and drills a, or tries to drill a Marlin, but he was so bad he missed him, went behind his back. No warnings, umpire threw him out. You know, it's kind of a lost art. Retaliation is a lost art. The The only thing Major League Baseball seems to care about now in terms of the only punishment left, I suppose, is that you lay your hand on an umpire or in an obvious 
situation, you retaliate, throw at a guy uh, up and in, really gets everybody going. But other than that, the the thrill of competitive baseball is like the NBA. It's gone. You know, every now and then somebody gets huffy. And, you know, they say bad blood, but really bad blood doesn't exist much anymore. You got no action at home plate. Nobody can touch anybody. You sort of slide in, but you're a, you know, catcher's got to give you an alley. So you don't have any of that stuff going on, which, you know, that's okay. I'm not looking for people to have career-ending injuries. Second base is a joke. You can't anymore. You just don't have the the activity at second base, which I think most guys miss. And so when somebody does get worked up over a bat flip, now everybody's flipping bats. I mean, and really, if you watch a, a major league game and as a just to pretend you're a major league player, you can't really get too concerned or upset about anything. If you if you got upset at antics that go on during a game, you would have a lifetime of upset fever. Um, you watch a game, got you know they pound their heart, they look up to the sky. They jump around and they do 50,000 different combinations of handshakes. They get in the dugout and the brewer guy goes over to the camera and goes upside down and makes a stupid face. They flip their bats up in the air. There's a thousand different things that if you did that to Bob Gibson, if you did that to Early Wynn, if you did that to Warren Spahn, if you did that to Rich Gossage, if you, you get the hint. If you did that in any time other within the last two years, you get a ball at your head, not at your butt. And, uh, you know, that's different. Baseball, it's just different. And so the only thing that's exciting now, and maybe this is good, are um, home runs, triples, you know, hard-hit balls, and great plays. And... There are a lot of both, but as the one hit in play every four minutes shows, there are not a lot of hard-hit balls. There are a lot of strikeouts. The strikeouts are going crazy, and the home runs are going crazy, and now you got the theory that the um, baseballs are juiced, and by juiced I mean in the production and manufacture of the baseball in Costa Rica – uh, by using less yarn, they increase the um, power and energy in a baseball when it's struck with a wooden bat. And with the current love of launch angle and exit velocity, you got what you got. You got really a game that's on the brink of being not so exciting. And they need to do something about it. And I don't know what they do about it, but I do know they should make everybody pay these players $120 million and put 30 guys on the team. You know, have a 15 pitchers, and maybe then they wouldn't get hurt. Lower the mound. There are things to do. There are plenty of guys with plenty of talent. Expand baseball so these owners that only have a 
franchise worth a billion dollars, don't cry. Uh, you know, hey, I'm the sucker. I'm, I buy the season tickets. So be that as it may, that uh, that's kind of, boy, how's that for an opening monologue? You know, that went on for 15 or 20 minutes, and I haven't even gotten to this week in baseball. Mel Allen, was that a great show or what? This week in, there's, you know, Heidi Watney's good on Quick Pitch, which runs over and over and over. For those of us who can't sleep a lot, I watch Quick Pitch three or four times, and they they do a great, she does a great job. The production crew does a spectacular job. They have the rights to all of MLB baseball games, and so they have every game, all the highlights, and they do it in a really well-edited, concise time. But, man, oh, man, you know, back when the there wasn't this proliferation of television into pro sports, and speaking of that, and we'll get back to Mel Allen in a minute, the friggin' Cubs are going to do like I guess the Dodgers did and have their own TV network so we can squeeze a little more money out of the fans. Then we're going to have our own YouTube station presentation on the Cubs, and we're going to have five luxury clubs around Wrigley Field so we can get some more of your money. And, well, the only place you're going to get edible food is in one of those expensive $250 ticket to get some decent food pizza bar i haven't been in them some of my kids have been in those fancy clubs but they don't ever ask me in light of this extremely popular podcast (laughs) but the uh you know in five games at wrigley i've tried to find one thing that's good Uh, the royals i don't even look uh a friend of mine does have a good commodity at Royal Stadium. He sells Bob, well, they, they're fruit kebabs. His name's Bob. I, I call them Bob kebabs. They're good. They're healthy. They're pretty popular out there. Um, you know, they're they're kind of chunks of fruit, chunks of cheesecake, and drizzled chocolate or whatever the term is. And shout out to you, Bob, because, by God, that's edible. The rest of the stuff at Royal Stadium, oh my God, give me a grill. I'll cook my own food, which I do at our tailgates, and we're going to have a few of those. Hard to tailgate at Wrigley, but that's okay. Now, the food at Wrigley has gone downhill. Hard to do. It's hard to go downhill from where they are, but these guys need to get rid of their concessionaire and hire Sports Service. That's my shout-out to my friends at Sports Service. They do the White Sox. They do the Cardinals. They do the Tigers. They probably do a lot of other teams, but their food's good. The Red Sox food's good. Been to Fenway Park. Got to go there again. I'm planning a trip. I'm going to go to Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Detroit sometime this year, I hope. I hope I'm going to go to Tampa Bay and and pick up where my friend Dwayne Stats and I left off, and we're going to have a good time doing that. And I'll get another podcast with my good friend Craig Kashan, and I'm shooting for June 20th when they honor, once again, my good friend Dave Nelson with the Dave Nelson Award to someone in Milwaukee who exemplifies the type of life Dave led. And he led a great life and did a lot for the community, and God bless Nelly. Anyway, Mel Allen, wow. I mean, that show was great. His voice was great. He was one of those announcers that you just love the game. And uh, maybe that's what we're missing. Maybe it's 
just too glitzy right now. Uh, although there are still good announcers with the best of the best being Euchre in Milwaukee and my friend Dwayne Stats, Tampa Bay and Tom Hamilton in Cleveland and there are others. Um, I listen to those guys more than the others because, you know, Stats is so good that on quick pitch with Heidi Watney, when they do the replay of the highlights of the teams the Rays are playing, even when their highlights are the opposing team, especially the Royals, they use Dwayne's uh, broadcast. They don't use Denny Matthews. They don't use Ryan Lefevre. They don't use Rex Hudler. They don't use that other guy. They use Dwayne Stats because why? Because the guy's good. You know, he doesn't put you to sleep. He, you know, in 25 years, he'll know when it's time to retire, but that's not out. Anyway, another plug for Dwayne. Um, so anyway, Craig, Sean, and I hope to get together uh, at the June 20th game or shortly thereafter and do another podcast. That was fun. I think that was podcast 13. And uh, like I said, we're trying to figure out if we can get a new format on a different uh, different app. But nothing official to report there yet. But when we do have some news to report, we will. So what else can we talk about today? I don't know. There's just, you know, what's exciting that's going on in baseball other than a few of the surprises. Um, I tell you what, Bellinger with the Dodgers, uh, man, oh man, if you look at the World Series performance of 2018 coupled with uh, what he's done in terms of the first five weeks in baseball this year, I mean, that's exciting. He is really coming into his own. Yelich, Trouble for the Cubbies, man. Yelich and Kane, that guy is great, having a great year. And it's fun to watch Yelich because he's a little bitty dude, and he just hits like Babe Ruth. Now, is he the Babe yet, the Bambino, the Sultan of Swat? Not yet. He's young. But, my God, the dude can pop it. And, uh, and so that's kind of fun. And then the White Sox are fun. They've got some guys. Tim Anderson off to a great start. And here's a guy that they, uh, the White Sox were ahead of the curve on the extension. Fever gave Anderson a big extension last year, and I'm going, my God, this guy's horrible. Not anymore. And again, that gets back to why I'm not a scout, probably not an agent. Uh, you know, I thought Anderson was not gonna not gonna do it, but man, the White Sox have a good team. The Padres have a great team. The the uh, you look at their batting averages, and their batting averages are pathetic compared to what you would expect a good good team to be. But their pitching is great, and yeah, you need good pitching. You can get by on good pitching and mediocre hitting, and that's exactly what the Padres are doing. The... Uh, Padres in batting average are 25th in Major League Baseball out of 30 teams. Home runs, they are 6th. And in last place uh, are the Reds. I mean, you look at the crummy teams, the teams that I predict, the teams that I said would be really bad, and, oh, the Reds, the Marlins, the Giants, the Orioles, 
FDA's. They're, they're terrible. Then you look at the whip. Good teams. Here's my point. Leading in the whip. The only saber metric you ought to look at. Tampa Bay, number one. Houston, number two. The Dodgers, number three. And yes, those Friars from San Diego are in fourth place in the whip. And oh, look at the standings. Whoa, they're up there. Get your whip down, folks. That's the key. Who are the crummy whips of the world? Ah, this is a toughie. Number 27 out of 30, your Kansas City Royals. Number 28 out of 30, those Baltimore birds. Man, are they pathetic. That owner ought to be ashamed of himself. Oh, my God. How can this happen to these teams that are such good franchises? This guy that bought the Orioles has been nothing but a pain in the neck to baseball, and they stink, and he ought to be fired as an owner. Yeah, that's not going to happen. In 29th place, the Rangers, and in 30th place, the, uh, the Sox. So, you know, it just shows There's that's why they're in the places they're at. They are... Um, they're struggling. The uh, Cubbies averaged fourth in the league in hitting, tenth in the league in home runs, and third in the league in runs scored, which is, like I said, pretty doggone important. The Brewers are 16th in average, second in home runs. Royals are 15th in hitting, 16th in home runs, 11th. So, I mean, the Royals' hitting is not as rotten as it looked like it was going to be. But, you know, the bottom five teams are clearly the Marlins, the Orioles, the Reds, even though they went out and tried to have an aggressive aggressive year, they really didn't do it. The, um, the Royals are pathetic, and the Tigers are pathetic. Now, who's not? Who's a surprise team in all this? The Minnesota Twins are surprisingly good. Cleveland Indians, surprisingly bad. The New York Mets are hanging in there. The Yankees are hanging in in light of a lot of bad injuries. The Red Sox have just about got it back to 500, and they're going to be in there at the end of the year with the Rays. The Blue Jays are terrible. The guy that that just shouldn't have a job in baseball as a general manager of the Nationals. My God, they how, how much can you underperform? Blame Dusty Baker. Blame Dave Martinez. Blame injuries. Blame travel schedule. Blame, blame, blame. They couldn't sign Harper. You lost Sammy Solis. You're a bum. And he's got to be the son-in-law of the owner. I mean, there's no other reason that this would go on. And speaking of general managers, Theo, would you please sign Joe Madden to a five-year extension and get it over with? Okay, five years is a little much. Joe's looking a little tired in the post-game interviews. But it was cold out there last night. It was an exciting game. Chris Bryant, bottom of the ninth inning, a walk-off three-run blast. How much better can it get? Well, the night before, it was as bad as the last night was good. Uh, oh, man, oh, man, Pedro just couldn't find home plate with both hands. And 
gave away a lead, walked everybody, boom, that was an ugly night. But like any true Cub fan, you win seven games in a row and then you lose one and it's like, oh my God, the season's over. But last night was a different story. Tonight you got Hendricks on the mound. Speaking of Hendricks, let me tell you what. We were there at Wrigley Field Friday, and it's the best game I've seen since Kerry Woods struck out 20 Astros. The best game. And why do you say it wasn't the best game? Because it took two hours and a few minutes. He threw 81 pitches, 81 pitches against the mighty hot coming into Wrigley Field, sizzling hot, Goldschmidt, Molina, Wong, you name it, DeJong, DeJong and Wong, DeWong, whatever. The Cardinals were hot, and Hendricks extinguished their fire, folks. Hendricks was beautiful, 81 pitches. He was the Greg Maddox. And they, unbeknownst to me, that winning the game, shutting them out 4 to nothing, throwing 81 pitches is known in the Chicago Cubs clubhouse is tossing a Maddox, and he was Maddox-like, wiffle ball-like. And you know what? We're heading out for an early start tonight because the weather's coming in. And who's on the mound? Kyle Hendricks, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, there are a few guys on the Cubs. There are a few guys on every team that I would pay to see. Number one, the, the year he's having, Javi Baez, you know. Say what you will about Javi, and I've said it all. The dude can flat out be entertaining. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes it's good entertainment, sometimes it's bad entertainment, but most of the time it's entertainment. And uh, so we're going to see that. Then um, tomorrow afternoon game is uh, it must be time for Darvish to throw, and then we start. Oh, we roll the uh, Hamels, Quintana, Lester. Uh, flop the starting rotation we get going. So, you know, God, Chris Bryant's got to get going. Rizzo's got to get going. Uh, Baez, Contreras, and Hayward have been carrying the team so far offensively, which is a little strange, but nonetheless, that's good. And then, you know, you got the Mike Trouts of the world. The Royals, man, oh, man, oh, man. I, Whit Merrifield, is that a guy you're going to go pay to see? No. Some of these guys are going to be dangled again, and dangle it is. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is going to be dangled for some prospects. Um, if your team sucks, you're going to be bait. And uh, I don't like that part of baseball either, but be that as it may, uh, the only folks worth watching out there tonight are going to be wearing a Cub uniform because Derek Jeter has totally ruined this ball club. And there's another guy that ought to be ashamed of himself right there with the Orioles and the Diamondbacks, uh, to give away the quality of players that Jeter gave away and the owner before him, Jeff Floria. <laughs> Loria. Anyway, um, to give away the people he gave away. Why well, have a baseball team? You know, hey, um, we're going to get rid of Ruth. We're going to get rid of Gehrig. And um, we're going to... Throw in somebody else just because, you know, I think they've lived up their, their, their useful life is gone. So let's dangle Mantle out there and let's, man, let's dangle DiMaggio out there. And, hey, can't we get rid of Yogi Berra? What's he done for us lately? You have got to be kidding me. How can you get rid of Goldschmidt? How can you get rid of Corbin? 
How can you get rid of these guys that they keep getting rid of, the Machados of the world, the Adam Joneses of the world? How, how does this happen? Everybody gave Bowie Coon so much grief about his battles with Charlie Finley because he tried to negate Finley's um, you know, fire sales of these players. And, you know, Kuhn was right on. You cannot allow this kind of giveaway to go on. And and if you made everybody have a basement of the salary, maybe that wouldn't happen. I don't get it. You're never, hey, let's get a couple prospects. I'm sure they'll be better than Goldschmidt. Oh, let's get a prospect. I'm sure he can pitch better than Bumgarner. Let's get a prospect for Hosmer because, you know, Hosmer's, what's he going to do for us? Or Moustakas or Kane. Look at those guys they gave away. They're still in their prime. Hosmer, Moustakas, well, we're in a small market. We really don't have a good TV contract. or radio contract doesn't compare to the Dodgers. Give me a break if you can't keep Hosmer, if you can't keep Kane, if you can't keep all those guys. Why have a baseball team? Go buy a, a factory. <laughs> Go do anything. My God, there ought to be a there ought to be more of an uproar. And uh, you know, and I think Boris and those guys contribute a little bit to it. But I got to say, I'm more on their side than the owner's side. These bozos, uh, and and some of them are friends of mine. They're they're just okay. Take the other side. Hey, you know it's their business. They're trying to make money, um, and the White Sox had a pathetic year last year. They had a low salary last year, and oh by the way, they made more money than they've ever made. Well, okay, that's their right. You know, I had a law firm. It's not like hey, you know, let's back off. We're making too much money. We need to be a little nicer to the law firm down the street. But in baseball, it's a little different from that. So anyway. Um, that's about all the rant and raving I can do for one day. I've had a good time. It's been two weeks. I'm going to do another podcast in another day or two. Try to find some good food at Wrigley. Hope that the Royals can win a game somewhere along the line. They beat the Astros last night. Killed the Astros. Grand Slam home runs. Fun stuff. So we're going to get into a little bit more of the detail of baseball rather than me rambling on. In podcast number 18, I'm going to dig up who's a famous number 18 because none come to my mind. Was Ken Berry number 18 with the White Sox? Has anybody ever heard of Ken Berry? Anyway, I mean the Royals, forgive me. Uh, the White Sox, man, I can't think of anybody that was 18, but I'll research it. Something I like to do. So, at any rate, for the lighter side of baseball, and I think it's been kind of light. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. We've talked about golf. We've talked about... Uh, some of the problems in Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about concessions. I'm going to go out. They do sell Garrett's popcorn at Wrigley Field. Hats off to them for doing that. Need more local vendors at these ballparks. The Cubs need to have Pisano Pizza, the, this this Giordano's Pizza in a Box. I'm telling you what, it, it looked bad. It couldn't have tasted any better. And, and my wife went to get a pretzel and some of these vending deals are automated now and and this pretzel was one foot by one foot with three little cruddy plastic containers of cheese frosting and mustard sauce and the pretzel would have it was like remember that that's Italian sausage at Comiskey Park 
cellular field, guaranteed rate field, you could have fed four people, but none of them would have had a happy meal. Speaking of happy meals, that reminds me of the 1993 Toronto Blue Jays where McDonald's was a concessionaire. Now they were onto something, folks. Go have a beer, a Big Mac, some French fries, and enjoy baseball in the Sky Dome. What could be better? So, for Jamie Retzke and On the Lighter Side of Baseball, we're wrapping up podcast number 17. I promise number 18 will be along a lot sooner. So until then, keep smiling, keep hitting the fairways with your drives, and let's go Cubbies. 